From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A big howdy. To all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations, the podcasts at TalkZone.com. Hi to uh, you taking the show with you on our mobile, uh, on your mobile device uh, through the Conspiracy Show app. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid the the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Actress, author Marina Anderson is standing by. Uh, Marina has appeared uh, recently in episodes of the TV series Bones. Uh, she was also, of course, married to the late actor David Carradine. And her memoir about her relationship and marriage to the star of Kung Fu and Kill Bill was chronicled in her book, David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado. And uh, she'll be here to share some details about that relationship as well as a lifetime of paranormal encounters and experiences. Uh, Just a programming note, uh, there is no live stream on YouTube uh, tonight or next week. Albert, uh, my story producer, uh, he runs the Hangouts on air. He's off for the next two weeks, but we will resume the YouTube stream in two weeks' time. Uh, But please take a moment and subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, Next week on the program, Scott Creighton the host of the Alternative Egyptology Forum on AboveTopSecret.com. AboveTopSecret.com will be my guest, and uh, his new book is The Great Pyramid Hoax, The Conspiracy to Conceal the True History of Ancient Egypt. And uh, Scott's research in the book really lays waste to the claim that the Great Pyramid of Giza was built during the Fourth Dynasty of Egypt, around 2050 BCE. Uh, Also joining us, paranormal investigator Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Uh, that's next time on The Conspiracy Show. Marina Anderson is a noted actress, voiceover artist, writer, producer, uh, makeup artist, acting coach, personal manager, career consultant. Uh, she's ventured in practically every facet of the entertainment industry in front of and behind the camera. Uh, she's been cast as the co-lead in an episode of Unsolved for NBC Universal, as well as appearances, as I mentioned, on Bones, The Mentalist, Dexter, L.A. Uh, Law, Sorry, Law and Order, <laughs> not LA Law, Law and Order, uh, Desperate Housewives, uh, supporting and guest star roles on Sex and Mrs. X, opposite Linda Hamilton, Forever Night, Dracula, the series, uh, recurring guests, uh, a guest role on Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, opposite, of course, David Carradine, uh, Largo Winch, and CBC's highly rated series, Scales of Justice. Many other TV appearances include Seinfeld, Seinfeld Big Time Rush, Jane by Design, Parenthood, Ghost Whisperer, Side side, uh, Order of Life, 12 Miles of Bad Road, and Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. She was singly responsible via her efforts as personal manager and publicist for resurrecting the career of the late actor David Carradine, her former husband, which culminated with his being cast in Quentin Tarantino's film Kill Bill. It was Marina who befriended and introduced Tarantino to Carradine, which ultimately led to his being cast in the film. During their six years together, her life and career with Carradine has been highly, was highly publicized worldwide. It was publicly acknowledged that Marina was the sole motivating factor for his sobriety after many years of alcohol abuse. Marina combined her skills to rebuild his career as well as pursuing her own. All is recounted in her memoir, David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado, 
which uh, was being is being developed as a film. Originally published in 2010, the book takes readers through Anderson's very private journey and beyond her publicized marriage and divorce to Carradine. Endorsed by Dr. Drew Pinsky, and a, a newer or an updated version is also available worldwide. Marina Anderson, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you, Richard. Oh, my God, I'm tired listening to that. I, like, I went through all that. Oh, God, now I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, you have uh, you have uh, lived several lives. I have, yeah. Indeed. <laughs> Reincarnated all in one. By the way, I introduced David to Quentin Tarantino in Toronto at the Bistro 990, upstairs during um, the first uh, Toronto Film Festival we celebrated together. Ah. And, well, yes, uh, so that's where he originally met uh, Quentin. And I, I didn't know this about you. Maybe I ha- did and I had forgotten, but you're a dual citizen. You're, you're Canadian. Yes. And, uh, yes. Uh, well, yes. I love Toronto. I miss it. I, my very dear, dear friends there. And, uh, yeah, one of these days I'm going to move back. <laughs> and uh, we, you and I met because my, uh, my TV partner, Jalal Murai, yes. uh, was good friends with, with David Carradine. Right, right. And that's how I met Jalal. Wow. See, it all comes full circle. Yes. Um, <laughs> David uh, died 2009, June 2009, right. Bangkok, uh, a horrible uh, ending to um, a storied life. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly, I mean, the official cause of death was um, uh, um, autoerotic asphyxia. Right. And uh, you, ne- you never believed that for a moment. There were a couple no. of autopsies. You, you still believe to this day that, that David, who was 72 at the time, was murdered. Uh, I, yeah, I, I definitely believe he was murdered. Um, what I did in the book, um, I felt there was kind of an obligation to, um, uh, I didn't think there was a, a big injustice done to David in the press. Um, in spite of the fact we had a very a not so pleasant divorce, uh, ended up in court. Um, <clears throat> I still had great love for the man, and um, I heard through the grapevine that he still um, felt very much the same about me. So, but, you know, things didn't work out. So when this hit the press, I went, you know, there's just something very wrong about this whole picture because I didn't believe he would be by himself. And autoerotica is by oneself. So I didn't believe that at all. And I didn't believe it was accidental. So um, what I decided to do was to investigate it myself. And so um, I was making calls and <clears throat> doing some groundwork and, um, it was really difficult to to um, to do emotionally um, to separate it out where I could look at it objectively. It, you know, I literally just said, "Well, how did you deal with it?" Well, I had a roll of toilet paper literally on my desk because I went through too many boxes of Kleenex, and you know, and going through it and autopsy pictures. I mean, it was just really hard to say the least. Um, so, with the information that I got, um, it just reinforced my feeling that um, I, I don't believe it was. Uh, accidental or by himself and 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 his other close friends and other people he's worked with too they they all felt the same um so um it's very unfortunate but but it has not been solved and um i was told that they actually closed the file in thailand and um and so the um surveillance tape will never surface and uh it's um very unfortunate but um there were various theories that uh, came to light when I was researching this, and people would tell me their encounters and stories, and I went, whoa, that's interesting. Whoa, really? And it, each one sent me off in a different direction. So um, 
I could say it's fascinating to, to the reader. To me, it was very disturbing. Now I'm far enough removed from it that I, I can talk to you about it without kind of like having a meltdown. But, um, yeah, it, um, that's why it's being developed into a film because it is one of those, uh, who done it sort of, um, situations. Right. Marilyn Monroe and JFK and. Sure. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and you, you suspect because David was known to carry a lot of cash uh, on his person and also he had a, a penchant for expensive watches that would get flashed around. So perhaps that may have been the motive. I, you know what? That's what I thought at first. And then I found out that, um, Supposedly, there wasn't anything stolen. So that sent me into another direction. Like, well, if, if it wasn't cash, if it wasn't theft, what was it? So um, that's where it was interesting how you feel you're guided. Because um, I kind of put out the universe where I would, like, you know, talk to David out there and go, what on F happened to you? And. And then, say, a week later, I would run into somebody who said, oh, God, you know, a month before he passed away, I ran into him, and this friend of mine, uh, you know, worked in a restaurant, and and um, David walked in with, and I, this is in the book, this is nothing I'm telling out of you know, context or anything, um, and he, David was in there with six young Asian girls. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? It's, yeah, he, my friend waited on him, and... He was in a really bad mood. He didn't even tip, and I went, God, for David not to tip. He was always a very generous tipper. What, what on earth was going on? And this is like a month or two before he went to Taiwan. Well, the, the restaurant was located in Chatsworth. Chatsworth is what we affectionately call the porn capital of Southern California. Mm. So you go, whoa, and, and then he, he's ended up in Thailand. It's like, God, okay, so it kind of makes you wonder and then somebody else told me something else, and and I get an email from a total stranger in Thailand, saying that they had a kind of a series of uh, like uh, serial killers and and murders out there, and and he sent me a picture of one of the the unfortunate victims, and he kind of looked like David. So you go, that's in another direction. So it's, it was really weird. Um, all these things kept popping up. Um, I, I should consult with someone to, to channel David and, and really tell me what happened. I mean, I do have a lot of psychics that I, I did consult. Sure. And um, one of them was Sloan Bella, by the way, who um, kind of making an introduction to you via email. Right, right. And yes. I had um, an autograph uh, signing, and um, she came in later. But when I was in uh, the middle of signing some autographs, I kind of felt like something brushed against my cheek, but there was no door open or anything, and... And I was going, oh, okay, well, maybe it was just whatever, you know, sensitivity. And so um, later in the evening, she sent me the email, and she goes, no, David was standing by you, and he was touching your cheek. But I didn't mention having that feeling to her. She saw him standing by me. Um, and so she um, came through with, you know, some information about the circumstances, and she, too, um, agreed that, you know, he wasn't by himself. You, you've had readings with uh, with uh, Jonathan, John Edward as well. Yes. Um, did you get it? Uh, what happened there? Was, did David Carradine come up at all? Or? Well, that was before David passed away. That was actually three days after we separated, after David moved out. And I didn't want to tell the producers because I didn't want to lose the reading because it was for his TV show. Um, but... Um, what John told me is he said, this reading was meant for you. Um, it's kind of a long story, but I did recount it in the book, how that came about. 
because um, I needed answers, I needed guidance, and my dad came through for me. But in the reading, no one came through for David, and that, he was kind of ticked off about that. But John said, no, this reading was for you, and he said, um, you will not be getting back together. He didn't say this in the reading, but he told me afterwards, and he knew walking in the house that we had separated, and he, he called the producer and said, I'm going through with this anyway because this is um, very important to this woman. So he was kind enough to do that. And um, the things that he said was I had a whole checklist of what he said to me that happened in the, over the next two, three years. And um, one of it was my visit to Toronto to reclaim my territory. And I went to Mississauga to revisit the house that David and I lived in. Ah. And um, it, it was the house evidently had been totally torn down, and a new house was there. And I thought, dang, I can't go into that old house. And I saw this man in the backyard, like a little golf club. So I got out of the taxi, went up the side of the house, and I introduced myself. And he goes, oh, wow, that's so interesting. He said, you know, we kept the fence that David knocked, knocked um, broke. And he showed me, and David, in a drunken rage, kicked oh, this dear. fence and broke the fence. Marina, I've got to jump in here. We're going to take a time out. We'll be right back. Stay where yeah. you are. Marina <laughs> Anderson, David Carradine, the life of my, the eye of my tornado. I'm back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Actor Marina Anderson is with us. Author former wife of the late actor David Carradine. Uh, she's been cast as the co-lead in an episode of Unsolved for NBC Universal and also appeared in Bones, uh, The Mentalist, Law and Order, Desperate Housewives, uh, Sex and Mrs. X opposite Linda Hamilton, Forever Night, Dracula, the series, uh, oh my gosh, a Ghost Whisper, on and on it goes, Seinfeld, Big Time Rush. Uh, we've been talking about her... Uh, her relationship with uh, David Carradine. Now you met in Toronto on um, no, you, you you your your romance started, I guess, in Toronto uh, on the set of Kung Fu: uh, The Legend Continues, which was sort of the late nineties, right? Right, right. Actually, we we met in the seventies originally. Right. And uh, and the, 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 what it really took place, it really took off a flight was uh, yeah in uh, in the nineties when I did his show. And, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, anyone who reads the book, you know, knows what a difficult, difficult relationship that was for you. I mean, you were, you were abused, sexually abused by a relative. Right. Uh, and then you find yourself in 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 an abusive relationship with, with, uh, with David. Right. Um, uh, I mean, Dr. Drew helped with that. <laughs> Dr. Drew, yeah. I mean, how are you now? I mean, you, this, you, you actually had to be treated for post-traumatic stress disorder as a result. Yeah, uh, th- that's uh, kind of still with me. Um, it hits now and then, um, but much, much better. Um, the book, actually, Dr. Drew um, was an epiphany for me, my session with him, which is verbatim in the book at the whole chapter. That really uh, helped get closure. Uh, bless his heart. Um, and uh, I was, you know, really on the major mend from that point. And finishing the book and getting it out really also helped, too. It was very cathartic. And part of my mission was to help other people um, who have gone through similar experiences and to um, learn what I went through and how I got through it and things that I didn't deal with very well. And 
I'm really um, out there uh, in the raw, so to speak. Um, so it was very intense, and uh, but I'm doing good. I am, yeah, I'm doing good. Does Ma- major difference? <laughs> does one ever sort of fully close that chapter? I mean, you you know, you try to uh, investigate uh, the murder and bring some closure to that on, on on David's behalf and and his fans, and also for yourself. Uh, but the other, the rest of it, the uh, the other stuff that you had to put up with, and his demons battling uh, his demons and helping him battle his demons. Does one ever, as a survivor, ever close that chapter? That's a really good question. Uh, most of the time, I feel I have, but um, sometimes that uh, door kind of uh, kicks open a little bit, and uh, I have to kind of circle back around and uh, get control over over it again emotionally. So I, I think it's still, um, for, for myself anyway, an, an ongoing process um, that, you know, I feel like I've grown leaps and bounds um, and gotten much healthier. In fact, that was part of the problem is I was getting help and healthier and he didn't want to, he wanted to stay with the demons and that's pretty much what, uh, you know, ripped the marriage apart. So, um, so in that sense, um, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of myself what I've, I've managed to accomplish um, in, in spite of all that but um, yeah sometimes that uh, it does uh, rear its uh, little creepy little head <laughs> and obviously there were some 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 wonderful times in that relationship one of the yeah. things I, I, I didn't know I mean Keith Carradine uh, um, in the mid-70s had a hit I'm easy mm-hmm. um, but David was quite an accomplished I mean he probably could have made it just as a musician he was so talented. I, oh my God! Talk about. Uh, um, he, it was a genius. I consider David a genius. It wasn't anything he couldn't do. He directed. He produced. He wrote music. He wrote music scores for movies. Is, um, you know, he could write lyrics. You know, um, anywhere, half asleep, he could write lyrics. Um, and he was just smart, brilliant mind, um, and. Uh, you know those um, things that he couldn't turn off, and uh, preferences that um, damage that he had when he was younger uh, didn't get fixed. And I thought I could help fix it, but that was uh, an undertaking that I uh, learned that you can't do for someone. It's like with the alcohol; um, they say, "Oh, how did you get him off the alcohol?" I didn't. I was the catalyst. I was part of the um, incentive for him to want to get off of alcohol, which he finally did for the six years we were together. He went back on the alcohol about three months after we separated. So, um, so I don't take credit for getting him off the alcohol. I, I, because he was in love with me, he wanted to get back in track with his career. He knew I could help with that. He loved me. He wanted to do right by me, and he really gave it his all for those six years. But I think there was a point where he felt that he um, couldn't stay on that track, and he fell back. And that's when everything just kind of exploded. How did uh, how have David Carradine's fans reacted to your book, uh, David Carradine, mm-hmm. The Eye of My Tornado? Because, you know, some perceive it as, uh, and this was not your intention, obviously. I mean, you, this was your life. You, you're in, mm-hmm. you own it. You, you certainly uh, have every right to talk about what happened to you, you were victimized, right? Um, but 
how do the fans? How do the, his fans react? Do they think that? Do they see it as a uh, that you an attempt to trash him, or how do they perceive it? Most of the fans I have had wonderful response. Um, people that weren't fans that just read the book uh, commended me for having the courage to write about everything. Because mind you, I'm out there with my stuff too and my vulnerabilities. It wasn't. It's not a trash book. My my purpose is to talk about sexual deviance, incest. All those really touchy subjects that people don't want to deal with. They don't want to talk about it. They want to put it back in the closet, sweep it under the rug. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that because that's what I went through. And that's part of my healing. I can help other people. Um, There are uh, a few uh, that totally tried to rip me apart and discredit me. I'm a gold digger. I'm this. I mean, just horrible, horrible things. And I'm still upset at this book website that won't remove it, probably because they get more you know, controversy, they think they're going to sell more books, but it really was character defamation to me. And it was extremely upsetting. And I had to learn to um, deal with that and the post-traumatic stress and all that, that it kind of flared up. But um, so there were a few, and, and who knows if they were friends or something and they just wanted to take me down or try to take me down, but it didn't work. And um, um, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but um, you don't have to try and, you know, totally cream somebody into the ground, and, and and it was just uncalled for. You know that they went over the line. So, but for ninety five percent, ninety eight percent of the people, no, I I got some really nice support and encouragement, and that was really nice. And people that I've actually helped with similar uh, problems, and um, and that that was part. That's the reason why I wrote the book is to help other people, and I did. Mission accomplished, and I'm still out there trying to empower other people. And what is the status of the uh, the, the book being turned into a movie? That's you know that's such a long process. Um, you know, I was still working on trying to get a script done, and and you know it's that whole thing. So I you know working on it. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah, I know how these things go. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, it can be an eternity. Yes, exactly. So, um, so well, just you know, kind of pacing myself with it and um, putting it out there and and um, taking meetings and you know, the 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 schlep. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, in the meantime, I mean, you you um, you continue to to act. You were I mentioned earlier. You re- yes. recently were in in the, the series uh, Bones and uh, Unsolved for NBC and uh, just all those other ones. But you know what? There's a, a new indie film out called The Red Maple Leaf. Ah, with um, James Caan, one of my favorite yes. actors. Yes, um, I have a couple scenes in there. Um, one is opposite Michael Pere. Mm-hmm. Michael Pere. Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson stars in it. Um, Mia Servino, Paul Servino, James Kahn, bless her heart, Doris Roberts, Eric Roberts. I mean, just a whole list of luminaries. And um, um, the scene is opposite the writer, director, producer, for, uh, Frank D'Angelo. So um, uh, so that's coming out, I think they said, in March in Canada. What's it about? Uh, well, it's, it's a... Um, um, Oh God! It's kind of a plot line. I get log line here. Um, a kidnapping, and it's kind of like who who did it and why. And um, Michael Proye plays a senator. I play his mistress. Um, very interesting. Um, and and the way uh, Frank works is 
totally new to me. It was like, wow, uh, this is this is great. I mean, it keeps you on your toes. It was, so I had a really good time doing it. What was it and, like working with Chris Christopherson? Do you share any scenes? I don't, but he was, um, no, I don't, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, my ex-father-in-law directed him in Millennium. Ah. Yeah, so I've got that connection. But I, no, I unfortunately don't have my scenes with him, just with, with Frank and uh, Michael. Because it, it's but, remarkable. Uh, I don't know if he... If, Chris Christopherson, if you were on set, I happened to talk to him at all. But I just recently, I read an article, I'm not sure if it was in um, Rolling Stone magazine, because Christopherson, uh, I believe, was, you know, had sort of semi-retired to Hawaii, and his mind mm-hmm. was starting to fail, and they thought it was Alzheimer's. Oh, and, I, I didn't hear and then all, He that. had this remarkable recovery. His, wow. And he's, he's back, and he's actually, you know, a, a touring in a limited fashion and recording songs again. And uh, Yes, he's actually going to be at a pre-Grammy party uh, here in L.A. this week that I'm going to go to. So I intend to, to say hello. Oh, well, he's, <laughs> you know, a living legend, to be sure. Oh, for sure. And what, for sure. And what about uh, uh, James Caan, one of my favorite actors? And my, my little guy, my, my twin boys love him because he's in their favorite movie, Elf. I, I wish I had a chance to meet him, too. No, I, I didn't have any scenes with Mr. Khan, but um, man, yeah, what a dynamic person and, and uh, actor. Yeah, um, some really, really good talent in this. And Ellen Dubin from um, Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, she's also in, in, in the film, um, great supporting role in there. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. Cool. (laughs) We'll be heading into a break shortly, but we'll get this this conversation started now and we'll follow up afterwards. But I just wanted to talk about, uh, you know, your interest in all things metaphysical and the paranormal. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you had uh, a a reading with uh, medium Jonathan Edward and uh, but you've also Mm -hmm. had psychic readings with Joan Dixon. And and, uh, where did that all begin, your interest in in um, the the paranormal? When I was a kid, um I, I had um, I called I called them flyaway experiences. I didn't know it was astral projection, and I used to go visit my grandparents' house, and I would tell my brother about you know hey I was at grandma and grandpa's last night. And he goes yeah right you know kids you know like <laughs> sisters a loon, and um, so but that kept happening over the course of my life, and I would hear um, voices. <laughs> it's like I'm schizophrenic, but. Um, calling my name and when that happened uh there would be something happening with the family it's like i was being warned or they were trying to tell me something um i had this fascination when i heard about gene dixon and when i think it was in fifth grade i read um ruth montgomery i believe wrote the book about gene dixon i was fascinated with the palmistry and everything so i started learning palmistry and then i learned that my little flyaways were astral projection and I, I thought I was just, fa- just absolutely fascinated with anything and everything about it, UFOs, all this metaphysics stuff. And um, throughout my life, I've had major um, uh, spiritual experiences, and I would uh, seek out psychics and um, places like Harmony Grove in Escondido, near California. It's like a, a village where psychics live, and it's a whole community. And I. Um, Psychics kept telling me I had a gift to heal, and my dad, had, we felt, had this gift. He had a headache or something, he put his hand on the forehead, gone. And my grandmother was very psychic, and she would tell me about experiences that she had when she was uh, young. And so I felt I kind of inherited that. So I learned to read cards, I learned to read palms. Um, it was very accurate to a point where it was really scary, and I stopped 
doing it for a while, but I would have um, dreams that um, I would, um, you know, premonition dreams, very lucid dreams, and um, throughout my life, you know, it still happens. So, um, and into the point it was so real that I, I, um, I remember my, my dad, there was, we were driving the car as a family, and I must have been 10 years old or something, and this kid, the ball went into the street, the kid went after the ball, my dad, you know, hard brake in the car, and he kind of tapped the kid to where the kid fell down, and I knew that, that we were going to take him to the hospital, I, I, I saw it, like, I said, oh, daddy, that, that's, yeah, you're going to take him to the hospital, and this is what's going to happen, and, I, and they, like, what? <laughs> so I realized that, no, that was something that I dreamed that I knew was going to happen. Those are scary when that happens. Y- yeah. <laughs> well, listen, we'll take a time out. On the other side, more of my conversation with Marina Anderson, David Carradine, the eye of my tornado. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? Actress, author Marina Anderson is uh, with us. And her memoir, David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado. She was married to the uh, late kung fu actor from 1998 to 2001 and is uh, really credited for getting him on the uh, the straight and narrow and really resurrecting his career uh, after they met on the site of Kung Fu The Legend Continues here in Toronto in the late 90s. And, of course, then she went on to uh, introduce David to director Quentin Tarantino. And the rest is history, as they say. David would go on to star in Kill Bill. And uh, unfortunately, sadly, David passed away under rather uh, unsavory, uh, on the surface it appeared to be uh, autoerotic asphyxia, but Marina continues to believe to this day that David, in fact, was murdered. It was found hanging in a uh, closet in a hotel in Bangkok. We were talking about uh, astral projection, among other things. Marina, have you ever seen your astral body, your soul body? No, my experience with the astral projection is I haven't looked back at myself. It's always I'm somewhere else or in my room or that kind of thing. No, I haven't done that one yet. Maybe I'm afraid to do that. <laughs> well, well, I mean, that, that, I mean, you can't. Can you do it at will, or does it just sort of happen when it happens? It just happens when it happens. I haven't been able to do it at will because I still find it kind of scary. So I'm a little timid to. to every once in a while, I'll try it, but. Um, uh, no, it, it just let it happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of smiling here because it's, it's kind of startling when it does happen. I, I can imagine. I've told this story a number of times on, on the program, but 30 years ago, just after my father was buried, he, had, he died on New Year's Eve, 1986, and then a few days after he was buried, I just woke up in the middle of very early in the morning, maybe 3 o'clock in the morning. I have no idea what time it was. It was pitch black in uh, my, my mother's basement. I had a bedroom down there. And I opened my eyes, and um, I had the sense that there was someone in the room, and I had no idea. My mother and I were the only ones in the house. And I uh, closed my eyes. Oh, when I opened my eyes again, there was this specter hovering above me, sort of horizon- mm. uh, horizontal, so uh, its head pointed at my head and its feet down towards my feet. And then when I looked into its face, it was me. I, I was seeing my own doppelganger. Well, I would totally freak me out. Yeah, but you know what? I thought it would me too, but I was I was not scared. I was just really confused. Wow. I just had wow. no idea what was going on. And I've talked to different people. You know, was that my father's spirit assuming my form so as not to frighten me? Was it my astral body? Whatever it was. Yeah, that's my one and only paranormal experience. Whoa. Very interesting. 
that's actually listening to it. It sounds really cool, but like I said, I think that would totally freak me out if that happened to me. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm kind of used to seeing other things, um, spirits and that kind of thing, and hearing them and that that kind of an experience. I've been in haunted houses and things happen. In fact, the the, the house that I lived in with David was haunted. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Um, it was the house that we um, we we bought in Tarzana, mm-hmm. not too far from where I am now. And um, uh, David was out; uh, he was out of town on location. I was moving things in, and um, I was walking down the hall with a box. And I was in a hurry, and I ran around the corner. And I just as I looked up, I went through what I perceived as an American Indian. Oh my! And I found out later that. The house in the neighborhood was built on burial grounds, American Indian burial grounds, because it was Tarzana, named after uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs of Tarzan. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yes. Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, another time, uh, I was in my office, which is on the other end of the house, and I heard these uh, footsteps coming down the hallway. And I said, David, I'm in here. I'm in the office. And I didn't hear anything, and the footsteps and the footsteps disappeared. I went, well, that's kind of weird. So I... Yeah, the office, and, and Thunder, who's David's dog, was down at the other end of the hall in front of David's office. Well, if David had come out of the room, Thunder wouldn't have been there. He would have been in the hallway. So I was like, that's weird. So I went down the hallway, opened up the door, and there's David in his room smoking away and on his computer. And I went, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't in the hallway, right? He goes, no, no, why? It was just the weirdest thing. I, these footsteps that came down the hall and... Yeah, it wasn't David. <laughs> Somebody else. And and that encounter uh, when you walked through the uh, this apparition of uh, yeah. what you describe as an American Indian was. Were there other incidents? Um, and by the way, it was a warm feeling. It wasn't like one of those chilling cold uh, room kind of things. It was felt really warm, and I felt actually very comforted. Um, I felt protected. Um, and there was yet another time uh, moving out after David had moved out. And I was sitting in the living room and looking out to the backyard, and I there was this man in the yard with uh, some kind of a jumpsuit on, and he, I could see him going to the end of the yard and disappearing into the foliage. Oh, what? Because the gate was always locked and everything, so I went out and there was nobody there. Hmm. So yeah, um, it was interesting. I was glad to get out of there. Actually, I didn't think the, the house had good karma. At all. All right. We'll uh, take another time out. We'll come back and uh, delve further into the paranormal experiences of one Marina Anderson. Don't go away. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Marina Anderson stays with us. Actress, voiceover artist, writer, producer, makeup artist, acting coach, personal manager, career consultant, author. Her memoir, David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado. Uh, basically a, uh, a memoir of her relationship with the late David Carradine, star of uh, Kung Fu, Kill Bill. And um, we were talking about some of your paranormal experiences. Uh, you mentioned UFOs. Uh, have you had, you know, I have never, it's funny because I do, I do a program that's devoted to talking about the paranormal and conspiracies, of course, but outside of the one paranormal event I recounted, I've not had a UFO sighting ever, um, or anything like that. How about you? I've had one. 
and I had a, a witness with me um, it was when I was in college. And uh, my boyfriend at the time, his name was Michael. Um, we were um, in his backyard, um, just, you know, by the pool. It was nighttime, looking up at the stars. And um, we just, like, you know, looking, stargazing, isn't it beautiful? And we are like, oh, look at that one. God, that's awfully big and bright. And it was still, and then it started to move. And, oh, it must be meh, a helicopter, a plane. No, a plane wouldn't, like, stop and then start. And then we're like, well, that's kind of weird. It's like, yeah, it's too far away to be a helicopter, but it's awfully big, bright light. Okay, so it went, like, um, from a stop to a, a slow start and then horizontal and then stopped and then just went straight up and disappeared. Within That all happened within, like, five seconds. And wow. we looked at each other and went, what are or that was got to be a UFO. And then we heard the doorbell ring. Now, his mother was in the living room, and he's yelling to his mom to answer there's somebody's out the door. And we didn't hear any door open, so we went back inside the house, and he said, well, there's somebody's out the door. She said, no, the door, no, the doorbell didn't ring. We heard a doorbell. We kind of think that whatever, whatever happened, they made us think that the door, to get us away out from, from being outside to look up again ah interesting interesting and my now my dad was an aerospace engineer designer and he worked for lockheed for years and years and he would have um you know dinner parties at my houses were growing up and they were all um into aerospace and that and now my dad had a sighting as did most of the people who he had over at the house and there was this one person they talked about constantly who they said now this is dating myself god um in the late 50s and um this is before that because they were talking about somebody that they had known and worked with years prior to that who said that he was abducted taken up into a ufo and they showed him what i guess we now would think would be kind of like turbine turbine engines right kind of thing and but that was in the, the late 40s early 50s when they were said that happened and that didn't come to fruition until well, how many years later you know um long time later and and these were all lockheed martin employees mm-hmm. my word well yeah, very very knowledgeable man and and they were talking about people in the air force and everything who had ufo sightings and so i grew up with that atmosphere of it being accepted and nothing weird um right um, in your father, when he worked with Lockheed Martin, did he have any dealings with the, sort of the experimental R and D arm of Lockheed, which was Skunk Works? No, no. He um, he designed like um, uh, part of the Polaris missile and the L ten eleven and uh, the Moonwalk and things like that. He was into the design area. Um, because and, and he was an Imagineer for Epcot when he uh, just before he passed away. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Journey into the imagination, right? He helped uh, design. And so it was, then you're, the Canadian comes from your mother's side? No, actually, oh. it was, um, Michael Anderson Jr. and I uh, were married. His dad and Adrian, his wife, um, most beautiful people. I just talked with them on the phone the other day. It was his birthday. Um, they, uh, they sponsored us to, to come up and write for his company. So, because um, I, you know, I write, Michael and write as a wonderful script writer. And so we, we started to develop projects for his company. And um, and we divorced, and I stayed because I loved Toronto, and and I was I started working a lot national commercials and all those TV shows, and I just loved Toronto, so uh, so I stayed. 
It's so, a long time. <laughs> uh, that's where the dual, dual citizenship comes in. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah. uh, I wanted to just follow up on, on your father and, and Lockheed Martin. I was mentioning Skunk Works and uh, the, the guy that headed up Skunk Works, I guess late 70s into the mid-80s, guy by the name of Ben Rich once commented that we now have the technology to send E.T. home. Uh, and so I'm just wondering, I wanted to get your take on the idea that a lot of what we call UFOs may in fact be advanced U.S. aircraft, maybe even developed by Lockheed Martin or Skunk Works. Oh, they could, they, they could be developed by anybody. I mean, that, that's a definite, I think it's a definite possibility. I, I do personally think that there are other visitors that come to us, but, um, yeah, with the technology that we have, I have no doubt that some of it could be our very own, you know, right out of our own backyard, so to speak. Yeah, I, I'm of the mind, I think probably 90% of the so-called unexplained, I mean, once you rule out everything else, is probably air, advanced advanced aircraft, sort of black ops developed aircraft. Mm, hmm I mean, it, it could be. They're, obviously, they're not about to tell us, <laughs> so um, unfortunately... Um, I guess they don't think we can handle the truth. <laughs> well, that's a whole other discussion, isn't it? Uh, yeah. The whole dis- UFO disclosure movement, mm-hmm. uh, which just seems to be spinning its wheels. Obama was supposed to be the disclosure president, and, and uh, they thought Bill Clinton might be the disclosure. I don't think we'll ever have a disclosure. Y- yeah, probably not. Um, it, it would be really cool if we if we did, though, wouldn't it? Um, I just saw the movie Arrival, which totally fascinated me so um yeah I'm, I'm really into wanting to find out the truth you know um is it both is it one what is it um but like i said I, I definitely believe that there's other planets out there and other developed beings um they kind of look at us and go boy do they need some help <laughs> well my concern is they might just look at too involved <laughs> yeah exactly um <laughs> another area i wanted to explore with you uh because when when we met uh, out in L.A. You introduced uh, Jalal and I to uh, Rosalind Bruyere, oh, the yes. healer, yes. Uh, because we were working on an episode for my TV show, and we did an, we did an episode on energy healing. Mm-hmm. And so you set up an appointment with, uh, with, uh, with Rosalind Bruyere. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved with her and, and, and the whole field of energy healing? Um, well, like I said, I long when I was, you know, very, very young, I was told by psychics that I had this gift, and um, but there wasn't any place to learn it, you know, just kind of like lay hands on people. So um, I had um, some fender benders. I was going to chiropractors for, and I mentioned it to one guy. I said, you know, there's got to be some other alternative to this. He said, well, there's this uh, school in uh, Glendale called the Healing Light Center. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, um, they have classes and this and that, and you learn how to, you know, channel energy and heal. I went, oh, where do I sign up? And um, so I did. I enrolled in her school. I stayed there for like a solid three years. I mean, you learned anatomy. I mean, it was, it was a school school. It wasn't like this hocus-pocus kind of, oh, you know, yeah. kumbaya stuff. On the back of a matchbook cover. Right, right. And um, I got into her classes personally, and... Um, uh, it just kind of, you know, went from there. And, and then, of course, with, you know, life happening, I, I you know, kind of had to back off in the classes because I was traveling a lot and went back and forth. But um, that's who, who I really studied with. But mind you, I, on the side, I got my Reiki master and that, all that kind of stuff, too. But it's really Rosalind that um, 
I learned um, everything, the foundation and, and, and all of that. And it was a phenomenal experience. Um, she's the real deal. What, what's the most remarkable thing you've seen uh, Rosalind uh, do in terms of energy healing? Uh, well, in class, she would she would channel a couple uh, people. One in particular, Doctor Johnson, and um, she used me as one of the examples. I had recently got some X-rays of my back and uh, wanted to show them to her, but I, I didn't, and I kind of hid the X-rays. And so I sat in the middle of the group and um, my back to her, and she put her hands up and down my spine. I could feel her hand, and and then. Um, I felt like a, on a couple of my vertebrates, like cool, and I said, "Oh yeah, that feels nice and cool, and you know the the pain is kind of going away." And and, um, and she stepped around to the front. It wasn't her; she didn't have her hands, but it still felt like her hands were there. And then she proceeded to tell me exactly what vertebrae and everything, and it was verbatim pretty much what was in the X-ray report. That's remarkable. Yeah, That's remarkable. That was pretty cool. They're yeah. starting to incorporate a little bit of this into regular hospitals, aren't they? Yes. Actually, a lot of the courses now um, are, are nursing credits they offer for um, healing. Of, they have certain terms for it. But, um, but yes, it's, it's learning to channel energy and lay hands on people, and it's a, a therapeutic touch, I think they call it. And um, they can get nursing credits for that, for their education and towards uh, their nursing degrees. Yeah. What do you think of uh, God of John down there in Brazil? Do you think he's legit? Do you know God, of God of John? I I have uh, heard of him and I've seen some things online. I that's one thing I would like to experience personally. It's hard to tell online. You know what I mean? It's um, it all seems impressive, but then again, I don't know. Um, there's a part of me that says I don't believe it, and then there's the part of me that goes. Well, why not? You know, um, I, I, I really don't have an, a set opinion on that because I, I still need more information and experience on. You're you're from Missouri on that one. Yeah, I'm from Missouri on that one. <laughs> Got to show me on that one a little bit more. <laughs> What's coming up next for you, Marina? Um, I'm working on some children's books. Um, I got my first one almost ready to to go and try and find a publisher. I might self-publish. I don't know, but. Um, so that's that's my um, it makes me smile. You know, the business is uh, very difficult, the entertainment business, and um, it's not like it used to be. As everybody's kind of complaining, unless you've got a series. So uh, I found another love, and that is um, writing inspirational children's books. So that's where I'm, I'm putting my focus. Wonderful, wonderful. And I'm still, you know, working at keeping myself open to listening to, I say, the messages and. It's a lot of what was in my book is to help explain that to other people. It's um, the message of, of, like when David passed away, the week that he passed away and the funeral was coming up and I wasn't invited to the funeral. And it was hard for me to, to grasp that he was really gone. And I was at the gas station. I was really heavily thinking about this whole thing. And I, and I said out loud, I can't believe you're, you're gone, David. I, this is just too weird. And his nickname for me was Blackie. And John, Johnny up, and Blackie. Yes. And I looked up, and there was a car that, like, parked in front of me. It was a black car, and the license plate, I swear, I swear to the guy, it read R-Y-L, Real Dead. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and I was 
you know, um, it, it was just like, I don't, it, was, it was like an epiphany to me. <laughs> and um, But I was still very, feeling very um, upset over not being able to attend the funeral. So I, I said to a girlfriend and my cousin, I said, we're going to Dan Tana's restaurant. It was my home away from home. Um, this is where David announced our engagement. Um, I'm going to do my own little thing. So we're sitting outside having our cappuccino, watching the celebrities go on in and out. And there was this uh, gentleman who came out for a smoke, and I knew him from years. But I didn't know really who he was. I just, you know, one of the Dan Tana regulars. And um, there was a, a vendor, a woman selling flowers, and he bought this rose from her. And he walked over to me and handed me the rose. And I went, oh, you, you heard about my ex. I'm, that was just so sweet of you. He said, no, what, what about your ex? And I explained. And he goes, no, I just had this motivation to buy you a rose. And I went, that is just this. And I noticed his wedding ring. And I said, well, sh- why don't you give it to your wife? And he said, no, I, I feel this, this really needs to go to you. Wow. And I said, I can't tell you how much that means to me. I, I really appreciate it. I'm kind of going through something here. And, and I said, well, I know you, but I don't know you. What is your name? David. Ha <laughs> ha, there you go. There you go. On that note, Marina. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> thank you so much for hanging out with me for the last thank hour. Thank you. Great to connect with you again. This is wonderful. Thanks, Richard. Marina Anderson, David Carradine, the eye of my tornado. Back with more next week. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.